Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Michael Bushmull. Michael has served as a communications instructor for FEMA as well as a disaster preparedness consultant for the city of Berkeley, California. As the president of Applause Associates, he has taught people around the world. Uh, this is the third and final installment of a three-part series. Uh, today's podcast will focus on delivering presentations that encourage action. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Eric. It's a pleasure to be with you again and take part in these disaster preparedness communication topics. Yeah, and I'm sure there's business people also listening that have nothing to do with um, the disasters in the world other than a, a, a bad meal that they maybe prepared <laughs> themselves or ate yeah. at a restaurant. But, so I, but you know, presentations are given by everyone, uh, whether yeah, they're using PowerPoint or um, I use a, a, a thing called Prezi, if anybody's heard of that. But, you know, how long have you been giving and delivering presentations? Well, I kind of hate to admit it, but I've been giving presentations for more than 50 years. When I started out studying to be a Catholic priest, I joined a preaching order, and we had to give presentations almost every single day. And I've went on from there to, to work in a hospital. I joined the American Society for Training and Development, and I became a professional trainer, not only in healthcare settings, but for all sorts of people, firefighters. And since then, in my own business for the past 40 years, I've been training people all over the world to deliver presentations. And it's it just something, I don't know, I fell into it. I was a shy kid, but once I learned techniques, I've read more than 200 books on presentations and continue to study the topic. All right. Well, we'll call you an expert, maybe, you know. <laughs> so, yes, I'll accept that. So what's, what's your advice for opening presentations? I and, mean, you know, it doesn't take long to lose an audience. So. Yes. It, it, you're right. It doesn't take very long. It's kind of like the first impression idea. First impressions are created instantly in person and usually by your opening words. Now here's what a lot of speakers do, and, and unfortunately this is even taught in public speaking classes. Uh, good morning, my name is so-and-so, and I work for such and such, and today I'm gonna talk about boring. I've been working on this a long time and I've come up with a formula that has three elements that I wanna share with you. A greeting, a question, and a promise. You can open any presentation, whether it's 30 seconds long or 30 hours a class by using these uh, three things. So let me give you examples. First, no one is ever offended if you greet them like good morning, good afternoon, good evening. 
If you don't like the audience, you can always say good grief, but I don't recommend that. Anyway, good morning. Follow those opening words with a complimentary line, like good morning, thank you so much for being here today, or, or hello, it's, it's a real pleasure to talk with you today. By the way, if you're doing a Zoom presentation or a YouTube presentation, be careful. It's amazing how many people think that they're talking to groups. Again, as with writing email, think of talking to one person. Hello, thank you for watching. Not, hi guys, or hello everybody. Everybody's not watching. People watch as individuals. So anyway, open with a greeting, good morning, or Oh, thank, thank you so much for listening. So that's the greeting part. Next, don't tell people your name. Do not tell people your name at the beginning of a presentation for two reasons. First, nobody cares who you are. They care about themselves first and foremost. Uh, they don't care about you yet. And second, your name is important, and I'm going to share how to say it in a moment. But um, they will forget your name if you tell them right away. So I recommend this. Go from this sequence, greet them, grab them. How? Open every presentation with a question. And there's two basic f uh, families of questions that I've come up with. You can ask a direct question. A direct question is often like, how many of you type question? You're, you're expecting people in an audience to raise their hand, for example. How many of you have ever experienced firsthand an earthquake? I know I have uh, living in California. Uh, that's the direct question. If you're going to ask a sensitive direct question, you may want to word it differently. For example, I would never ask an audience, how many of you have ever spent at least one night in jail? Well, who wants to raise their hand and admit that publicly? But you can answer, you could ask that a different way. You could say, how many of you know someone, right? How many of you know someone who spent at least one night in jail? Or how many of you know someone who's had cancer? Now people can raise their hand and identify themselves, but not like they're losing face or being embarrassed. So the second kind of question is what I call a framed question. You've got a direct question, how many of you, the framed question, you put a frame of words around the question like this. The question before us today is, and it's often followed by a how can we statement. I find those three words, how can we, to inspire creative action from a group. I'll give you one I used with the King County Council. The question before the council tonight is, how can we increase county revenue without raising taxes? This frames what you're about to do, and it is very useful with a lot of groups. The question before us, the issue I'd like to discuss with you today is, how can we whatever? So that's the question. You can also start with a story and follow that with a question, or simply a fact, and follow that with a question. Anyway, the questions grab the minds. Questions create a quest. We cannot rest until we have an answer. So you've got a greeting, follow the question. Next, the promise. Here's where you can use directly a marketing device to make people in an audience want to listen. The question is like a knock on the door, but it's the promise that makes people want to come in and listen. And I call it a promise line because it has two parts. The first part is you are previewing what you're about to present. The second part is you're promising what they will gain by listening. So the word and wording will often be, today I'd like to 
now you need to find a verb. And the worst verb I know of is talk about. So many people, today I'm going to talk about, and then later on I'm going to talk about, and after that, don't talk about anything. To me, that little phrase, talk about, is like an old tin can washed up on a beach. Find a more precise verb. Today I'd like to introduce you to, you've got to, you've got to introduce something new. Today I'd like to share with you. Today I'd like to explore with you, uh, if you want like group interaction. Uh, today I'd like to teach you how. Maybe you've got new software. Today I'd like to show you how this works. To me, there's always a better verb than talk about. Next, if you can, divide the presentation into countable parts. Today, I'd like to introduce you to three new safety programs, two new programs. As soon as, as, soon as people hear a number, they can anticipate how many things are coming. So that's the first part, the preview part, and now the promise part, the most important part. Today, I'd like to share with you three new programs and then the promise part goes, so that you will. What can you promise that they will gain by listening, paying attention, or participating in what you're doing? And sometimes it's helpful to have two items so that you will understand, for example, and be able to do something. This whole process of a greeting question and promise can be done in 30 seconds or less. I'll give you a, my 30 second example. Let's pretend that you're a police officer. You're talking to a group of neighbors where there's been an increase of crime in the neighborhood. And, and your promise, the preview part of your promise line is gonna to be, today I'd like to share with you three easy ways to protect your house. That'll be that part, but I'll start at the top. And you can get, do this in 30 seconds or less. So I might say to an evening group, good evening. Thank you so much for being here. I have a question for you. How many of you know someone who's had their house broken into? Tonight, I'd like to share with you three easy ways to protect your house so that you will understand what burglars are looking for and you'll be able to make your house so safe you can go away on vacation and just relax. Greeting, question, promise. What I didn't mention yet was your name. You can now tell people your name or you can insert your name after the question before the promise. Okay, I, I, I need my cheat sheet card again. <laughs> Make sure yes. I'm doing this right. Well, um, you know, the next thing I want to talk about here is what's the best way for a speaker to use his or her voice. And I think this could be very challenging. I'll tell you a quick story. Um, I'm old enough, I went to my 50th uh, high school reunion and I saw three women in the hallway at the hotel I was staring, uh, staying at, and I recognized them. I uh, no longer had uh, longish blonde hair, if anybody knows me. Uh, it's kind of bald at this point. And I said, hello, Kathy and Jan and, you know, uh, Kendall, whatever. And they looked at me, I said, well, you know who I am? And uh, Kathy said, you're Eric Holdeman. And I said, how did oh. you know that? And she said, your voice. And so wow. it's been 50 years, had not seen her. And I know I have a distinctive voice because people recognize it. So changing your voice or your tone, this should be interesting. What's the best way for a speaker to use his or her voice? Are we changing it or modulation? What, what are we doing? We all have a voice, don't we? And uh, yours is distinctive, yes. And that's why people remember it. You don't have to change anything, but there's one thing every speaker needs to do. And 
what I'm going to say to you is not common knowledge. I've taught this all over the world. Almost no one has ever heard this. Here it is. If you want to sound confident, decisive, like you know what you're talking about, there's one thing you absolutely must do. When you reach the end of a single word, a phrase, or a sentence, you must drop the musical pitch of your voice down on the last syllable, as if you're ending a sentence. It's before you put a period in a, sta uh, a sentence. And when I studied radio and television broadcasting, which I did many years ago, one of the techniques I learned was, if you want to add fullness to any word, you round the word, speak, in, speak the word as if it's an arc. So if you want to say, preparing for a disaster is, or, or let me use a different example. Let's say living in a city is wonderful. And you want to make that word stand out. You, you round that word like this. Living in this city is wonderful. When you go down at the end, you sound confident. If you go up in, in pitch at the end of a sentence, you sound questioning. Oh, I'm happy to be here. And it, I'm, so when you're beginning a presentation, don't start out, uh, good morning. Uh, thank you all for being here. Today I'd like to talk about, no. People will lose confidence in you right away. You round that phrase down, good morning. Thank you so much for being here today. I have a question for you. You keep rounding down. When you go down on endings, you sound sure-footed. You sound certain. You sound confident. And you can apply this directly to yourself when you introduce yourself and say your own name. Names are said best when the last syllable of your last name goes down. I'm Eric Holderman. My name is Michael Bushmole. Winston Churchill. Okay. Say your name so it goes down in pitch. Short names work best if they're said on steps down. I'm Bill Smith. I'm, I'm Sue Jones. If you have a long many syllables, you can put it into an arc like this. I'm Elizabeth Montgomery. First name goes up, pause, last name comes down. Going down on pitch is the single most power, powerful thing any speaker can do, whether you're speaking on Zoom or speaking live in front of an audience. Yeah, you know, I, I, I've heard you talk about this before, and I remember that in this instance, it was a woman, but every phrase she said was rounding up. It mm -hmm. was up continually. And it, it is that, it's, it's like putting a question mark at the end of the phrase, right? I, yes. Interesting. I, I, because I'd heard you give this tip before, I said, ah, there it is. Yeah, actually most questions, can be spoken better by going down in pitch. For example, if somebody you know or live with or a coworker comes to work or you see them, they don't look well, they look like they may be ill, you could ask them this question, are you okay? But you could ask it two ways. You could ask it like this, uh, are you okay? Are you okay? Or you could ask it like this and go down in pitch, are you okay? The first way sounds like you're worried about their condition. The second way, are you okay? Sounds like you're concerned about that person. So even most questions are actually asked better by going down in pitch at the end. Okay, so I've got a, um, um, a question for you. And this is somebody I may send to you. It could be a biological person related to me. Um, someone who talks fast. They just talk really fast. And when they're in the group setting, they're talking really fast. And that, that's their normal speech pattern. How do you 
get somebody who's talking so fast to just plain slow down. Yeah. Okay. I recommend that everyone talk fast. Nothing is worse than people who talk slowly, right? The problem is comprehension. We can only comprehend so many words at a time. So my two pieces of advice are for people to talk fast, don't slow down. Instead, insert pauses. Uh, speak in short phrases, followed by silent pauses. Say a few words at a time. And the best average actually is seven words. Seven is a magic number in communications. It goes way back to the paper written by uh, George Miller at, at, on the East Coast back in 1956. And he said, in our short-term memory, we can easily recall seven items, right? Plus or minus two. So we have a range of five to nine items that, that are easy to remember, but they're also easy to say. So don't slow down, but keep inserting pauses. Say a few words, pause. A few words, pause. And if you do what I just mentioned about dropping your pitch at the end, you will also eliminate another annoying habit of saying ah, er, or um, because we say those words as fillers. But if you speak a short phrase, drop your pitch, pause. Another short phrase, drop your pitch, pause. You can clean up your speech and come across better. Don't slow down, just insert more pauses. Okay. Well, uh, what we're going to do right now is take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Today's podcast is being sponsored by The Blue Cell. As the nation's most active in-person and virtual incident command system and consequence management training company, stop by our website today to address your personal and agency training needs. Go to www.thebluecell.com. Well, welcome back. Um, Today's podcast is learning to do presentations better in any number of ways. And our guest, Michael Bushnell, is sharing uh, tips with us. And the next one is about using tools. And I, I perhaps am very guilty of this. It's, it's called death by PowerPoint. It's something we've all experienced. You know, what suggestions do you have on how a speaker should use PowerPoint or another visual aid? I think I mentioned Prezi before. It's another visual presentation tool. I'll, let me start off by quoting Steve Jobs, who once said this about PowerPoint. If you know what you're talking about, you don't need PowerPoint. And there's a great truth to that. PowerPoint is, is, is used all the time on other similar type of tools. There's nothing wrong with PowerPoint as a software product developed by by Microsoft. But when you're working with an audience, you cannot read and listen simultaneously. They're two distinct things. They're, therefore, they can be distracting. People use PowerPoint as an outline. They sometimes use it as an escape so, so people won't focus on them because they feel nervous. But uh, I would say eliminate the use of words as much as possible on slides if you're doing them. And I recommend this, speaking as an artist now, any typeface you use, and I, thoroughly, I strongly recommend Tahoma, use bold typefaces, whatever you're doing. Don't have skinny things on slides. They don't have impact. I recommend Tahoma, bold. I also recommend uh, Cambria. If you want a serif typeface, Cambria, bold works really well also. Those are my favorites. 
If you have to get a lot of words on a line, I recommend using Arial Narrow, but again, in bold. And my greatest tip for PowerPoint is this. If you're showing slides, if you want people to really listen and pay attention to you. In school, remember, we kids learned this thing about show and tell. Kid would bring something to school, show it, and talk about it. With PowerPoint, you do the reverse, tell and show. In other words, before you show your next slide, preview it, build suspense. It's done on television news. After the break, they give teasers. Before you let people know what's coming, preview the next slide. You know, you have to know what's coming, but it makes them anticipate what's coming rather than putting up a slide and make everyone sit there and look at it. Uh, am I supposed to read this? No, preview your slides and that can help. Okay, and you know, for presentations, our last question I have for you today is, you know, it's best to leave time for questions. I, I hate it when the, the pre presenter uses up their entire time slot and there's no time for questions. Maybe because I'm the guy that's always asking questions, but um, what are your best tips for answering questions from the audience? Yes, uh, it's an interesting topic, isn't it? I always recommend to speakers, when you're at the end or before the end, you, you preview and say, um, when I'm finished, I will welcome your questions and comments. Invite comments, not just questions. But here's my three-part formula for answering questions. Pause, preface, and prove. When you're asked a question, you do not have to answer it immediately. Everyone has a right to pause for a moment. If you're a witness in court, you're a lawyer will always tell you to pause before you answer the opposing attorney's question. It gives you more time to think and to look thoughtful. Pausing, it takes a moment, it's a fraction of a second actually, for minds to access information. Pause. And of course in the courtroom, uh, your attorney wants you to pause so that they can object. So that's the first thing, pause. Second, pause preface. If you want people to listen to you, you almost have to give them signals as to what to listen for. And there are three signals I like. One is this. You can repeat part of the question back. Let's say you went for a job interview. So why do you want to work for our company is the question. You could begin your answer with, I'd love to work for your company because. So you can repeat part of the question or the full question back. That gives your mind more time to think. A second technique for prefacing is to use numbers. And this is one of the greatest techniques that few people use. I'd love to work for your company for two reasons, the pay and the benefits. I wouldn't use those words, but when you use numbers, you sound in control of information. There's three reasons why this matters. Okay. The third thing, I call it your philosophy. What is your philosophy? If you are asked a sensitive question, maybe before you answer it, you want to give your philosophy about the situation. For example, let's say somebody came to you with a complaint about sexual harassment, let's say in a workplace, and they ask you, what are you going to do about it? Again, you could start out with your philosophy like this. You might start out answering like this. Let me just say this. It's my belief that in the workplace, no one should ever be harassed. Every man and woman must be treated with complete respect. In regard to the question you've just asked, I immediately need to find out two things. First, second. When you state your philosophy first, it makes you sound like you have big picture thinking and you come across as better. So pause, preface, either by repeating, use numbers, or state your philosophy. And by the way, that's only for sensitive questions when you'd use 
if somebody says to you, hey, do you want to go out to dinner tonight? You wouldn't want to say, well, my philosophy about dinner is no. You just say, yeah. The third thing is to prove. Prove your answer, okay? Can you back it up? Aristotle said, when asked, uh, what, there, said there are only two parts to a speech. You make a statement and you prove it. You may have to back up your answer with one other thing. What do you do if you don't know the answer to a question? Here's what I recommend strongly. There's a great technique to cover for yourself. You admit you don't know, use the transition word, but, and then tell them something you do know. And I'll give you a Boeing example. A few years ago, Boeing tried, tried something that proved to be impossible. And that was to design a brand new plane on a computer of all the component parts built around the world to build the Dreamliner, the 787. It was at least three years delayed. If the media had come to Boeing early on and asked this question, when is the Dreamliner going to be flying? And I was a Boeing representative. I could have used this technique this way. Well, the actual quarter or the exact quarter the airliner will be released, we are not certain of that. But I can tell you that in testing 777 beforehand, it took us two and a half years. So you admit you don't know, but you give something you do know, which is helpful and relevant to the question, and you will always come across as smart. Okay, so one other thing, would you ever invite questions in the middle of your presentation? I mean, to a degree, you lose a little control on doing that. But. Yeah, a lot of it depends on the size of the group and the format. If you're doing a training session, it's more likely that you'll want questions while you're going along. But if you have 200 people in front of you, it can be very disrupting and distracting because there's not enough time to handle it. And you have, you're always working within a clock time anyway. Do you have a 10 minute presentation? You have 10 minutes, you don't have 20 minutes. So you have to make that decision. And you can, it's smart to let people know ahead of time if it's not clear. During my presentation, if you have any questions, please feel free to raise your hand or you give the other signal. At the end of my presentation, I will welcome your questions and your comments. Okay. Well, this has been just terrific, Michael. The, I, I want to say thank you to Michael Bushmull for sharing his communications expertise in this three-part series on communications here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure uh, conducting or speaking in these three sessions. Eric, I appreciate your appreciation of good communication, how helpful it is for everyone. And I appreciate this opportunity to share ideas with you and your listeners. I was just thinking my wife might recommend that uh, we have another one on listening. Uh, maybe we could do one in the future, part four on listening. I, I don't think I could do that because my wife says to me, you're not listening, which means one of two things. Either I didn't do what she asked me to do or I forgot what she asked me to do, and I do both. There you go. Well, if listeners missed the first two podcasts on communicating, check the Disaster Zone uh, podcast library where you can get more tips on communicating verbally and in writing. So lastly, a reminder to everyone, be safe. Think about what you can do today to become better prepared for the next disaster and become more disaster resilient. Perhaps it'll be by learning to communicate better. Uh, thanks for listening and tune in again soon. Bye-bye. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disasterzone.com.
disasterzone.com.